If you turn back with me, please, to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and then verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. In his book, The Treasury of David, Charles Spurgeon wrote 349 pages on Psalm 119 alone. Yet he was beaten by the Puritan Thomas Manton, who wrote a three-volume work, with each volume comprising of 600 pages, with a grand total of 1,667 pages on Psalm 119. It is 190 long chapters, and you will be glad today we are only looking at three verses. So why the great interest in Psalm 119? Well, it is simply this. This, this psalm praises God for his word, the Bible, because God has given us this Bible, and through this Bible we can come to know who God is, and how to praise him. As Francis Schaeffer said in the 1970s, he is there, and he is not silent. Francis Schaeffer wrote many books, and he influenced many people with that one theme. He is there, and he is not silent. He is a God who communicates, and he communicates through the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, into our hearts and into our minds. Now, another striking feature of Psalm 119 is that each verse of the psalm, with only a couple of exceptions, refers to the Word of God, the Scriptures. It's a psalm all about the Scriptures. Also, the number 8 is stamped all over this psalm. Each section has 8 verses. There are 8 special names for God's words listed. So if you see a word such as law, it's talking about God's word. It's not just talking about laws. It's talking about the whole of God's word. Or precept. It's not just talking about God's precepts. It's talking about the whole of the word of God together. And the word 8, interestingly enough, in Hebrew means abundance. Eight in Hebrew means abundance. We have more than enough with the word of God. So the big picture for you and I here this morning and online this morning, if you seek to live your life in conformity to the word of God, you will be blessed. Simple. You will be blessed. The opening to the Psalter shows us that, Psalm 1, we all know Psalm 1, well, blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, blessed is the man or woman who delights in the scriptures and the Bible of God. And in a sense, Psalm 119 is a thorough exposition and interpretation of that beatitude of Psalm 1. It's Psalm 1, except expanded. Psalm 1 is quite short. Psalm 119 is big. It's Psalm, Psalm 1 expanded with more detail and more, uh, more live words. It's got more detail in it. 
And Psalm 119 opens with these words, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek after the Lord with their whole heart. It's talking about the Christian. It's talking about the Christian, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. If you have the scriptures and we have the Bible, that is all we need for life and godliness in this world. Indeed, more so, the Bible points to who? The Bible points to Jesus, our Saviour, who is the living word about whom this word is written about. It's all about Jesus, the living word. And as we study a couple of these verses, we will also see that God's word is clear about this. The doctrine of the clarity of scripture. Scripture is clear. Yes, there are hard parts in the Bible. Read Leviticus or read Revelation. There are hard parts in the Bible. But overall, the Bible is crystal clear. The clarity of scripture, or the old theologians used to call it the perspicuity of scripture. The great theme of the Bible is clear enough for a child to understand. We are fallen. We are sinful. We need a saviour. And our God sent us a wonderful saviour in his own son Jesus to come and live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And not only that, not only did he live the perfect life for you and I because we could not do it, he would go to a cross to bear that punishment that you and I deserved and he would rise again and he would go back to his father and he would say to his father, Father, I have done it. I have done it because I love him. Clear. But we need faith and we need to believe this. We need to believe this. The fall and redemption. We need that redemption. Franz Delitz, the famous German commentator, wrote, and this is what he says, Here we have set forth in Psalm 119 an inexhaustible fullness what the word of God is to a man or a woman and how a man or a woman is to behave himself in relation to it. John Frame, in his introduction to his massive book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life, wrote, The point of Christian ethics, or the point of the Christian life, is not to be as liberal as we can, or to be as conservative as we can, but to be as biblical as we can. To be as biblical as we can. It is rather to be as biblical as we can. That was the plea and that was the experience of the psalmist. He was saying to the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to teach me how I am to live, how I am going to live in this world. Because when I'm walking through this world, Lord, I've got loads of problems. I've got loads of problems. And Lord, you're going to have to teach me how to live and how to deal with other people. You're going to have to teach me that. That was his prayer in this psalm. That was his prayer. And it's you, your prayer and my prayer here today. So let's go to verse 105. What does he say? He says, Lord, your word, your Bible is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
By your words, Lord, I can see where I am going. When I read the Bible, the world makes a lot more sense to me. That's what he's saying. When I read the Bible and when I come amongst God's people and when I listen to sermons or whatever or read books on the Christian life, this complicated world becomes a lot more clear for me. Without this Bible, we are blind in this world. There are millions and if not billions of people in this world walking around blind to the truth of the existence of the universe and this God who communicates. We need this Bible. We need this light every day of our lives. That's how the message puts it. Anyone read the message? See, when I'm preparing sermons, I'll go to the message because it makes it absolutely crystal clear for me. It's excellent. It's an excellent translation. It doesn't have it right in many places. Yeah, I know that. But by your words, I can see where I am going. That's what it says for that verse. By your words, Lord, I can see where I am going. As the fire by night led the Israelites through the dark wilderness at the time of the Exodus, we too are directed by God because we live in a dark and a sinful world and we need this light to teach us where to go. God's word and the Holy Spirit, Spirit working through and alongside this word is absolutely necessary for us to live in this world as Christians. The same as a torch is absolutely essential when it is dark. It is quite clear. Not only does God's word shine a light on what we are to believe, what are we to believe? Fall and redemption, we are sinful, we need Jesus, we need to put our trust in Jesus, we, the gospel, we are to believe the gospel, but the Bible also teaches us how to live our lives as Christians. We don't just believe in Jesus and then all oh, that's everything's hunky-dory, no. The Bible teaches us how we're to live as Christians in this life. God's word will expose wrong sinful paths that we may take. And we do take wrong sinful paths. We are not perfect. We are still sinners. Yes, sinners, but we're saved by grace, but we're not perfect. And God's word will expose sin in our lives. When I am not following God... The Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring to light what is wrong with me. It will show me what sin is. By the power of the Spirit of God, I am brought back to that place of repentance. And once again, I see the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus, who says, I am the light of this world. Whoever follow, follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you have Jesus this morning, you know the right path your life is supposed to take. I should know the right path my life is supposed to take. But we veer to the right and to the left for a day or two or for a year or two. But the Lord will always take us back. He will always take us back. But he will expose what is wrong in our lives by the re reading his word and coming together. If you have Jesus and are veering on another path, you know the direction back to that narrow path of righteousness. I know too. The Lord will let us go down wrong sinful paths for only so long. And then he will say, thus far you shall come and no further. You know where these words come from? Book of Job. 
Thus far you shall come and no further. And contained within this wee verse is a plea, it's a prayer. It doesn't sound like a prayer, but it actually is a prayer. Contained within this short verse is the hint of a plea or prayer to God from the psalmist. The Living Bible puts it this way. I like this translation. It says, the Living Bible puts it this way. Keep me from stumbling, Lord. In other words, Lord, keep me from going astray. You know, often as Christians, you and I may become discouraged because the Bible has nothing to say on whether you're to go to university or take out a trade. Whether you're to marry this person or marry that person or marry nobody at all. Whether you're to take this treatment when you're ill or that treatment when you're ill or no treatment at all. Whether I should retire, maybe not retire, I don't know what to do, should I retire? These kind of specific things. And we come to the word of God and sometimes we can become discouraged and think, Lord, you're not speaking to me, you're not telling me what to do. You're not showing me the way I'm supposed to go. True, the Bible may be silent on these specific aspects of your life and my life. However, that, that does not mean that God is not interested in the nitty-gritty and the minute details of your life and my life. Not so. Not so. Not so. He is intimately interested and concerned in every aspect of your life and my life. But sometimes we come to the word of God where we've got big decisions in life to make. Selling a house, buying a house. Lord, we don't know why. Have you ever been there? You know these big decisions in life and you're like, Lord, I don't know which way to go here. I've been there. Just don't know which way to go. You know, and sometimes we expect to read in the Bible, no, no, you're to buy that house, Jonah. I don't see that there. It's not there. Sometimes these decisions, we've just got to wait. Well, the Lord will direct our paths in every way. We are commanded to wait upon the Lord in all things. But I don't know about you, sometimes I wait so long, nothing gets done. I tarry so long, nothing gets done. Other times, I can be rash and impulsive and not wait at all on the Lord. Anyone like that? Am I the only one in the room like that? No, of course. It's, it's life. It's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes when we're making decisions, it can be so hard, so difficult. And we can become frustrated, come to the world. And, Lord, you're not telling me whether I'm to go to university or to get a trade. You need to tell me. Keep me from going astray. That is when we pray. Martin Luther once said, pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. Isn't that good? I'll say that again. Pray as if everything depends on God, and then work as if everything depends on you. Thomas Watson said of prayer, Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. How true. Lord, keep me from going astray. There are times in our lives when we've got to make these decisions and we don't know which way to go, but we've just got to make a decision. We've just got to do it. We've just got to do it. I came across a book about 10, 15 years ago by a man called Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor out in America. And uh, this was the title to his book. And this, I like this. Just do something. A liberating approach to finding God's will 
or how to make a decision without demons, without visions, without fleeces open doors around the Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, just do something. It's the title of the book. So if the Bible is not specific on aspects of our lives that we want it to be specific about when we have to make these big decisions, how do we live in light of that? It teaches us whether we work in a supermarket or whether we work in an office. It teaches us whether we are married or whether we are not married. It teaches us whether we take this treatment or that treatment. What does the Bible teach us when we come to that place of frustration and we just don't know which way to go or what to do? Well, the Bible teaches us to love the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. The Bible teaches us that. Even if we don't know whether to go to the right or to the left, we're still to love the Lord our God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And remember to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget that part. It teaches us that. It teaches us that love is patient. It teaches us that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It teaches us also that. It teaches us that, that no matter what we are going through in life, in all life's decisions, from the wee decision to the big decisions, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, and see our neighbor, but to love them the same. We're not to gossip about them, we're not to talk about them behind the back, we're not to be we're to live that life, no matter where we are ourselves. What else does it teach us? Well, it says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The author and the foundation and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It teaches us that if we have not put our faith in the Lord Jesus today, today is the day of salvation. It teaches us all of these things. Am I saying that God doesn't? doesn't come into our lives and guide us and direct us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the Bible is not a manual. And not a manual for how to make big decisions. It's not going to tell you who to marry. It's not going to tell you where to go to work. It's not going to tell you these things specifically. But the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer, the Lord will guide you and direct you. But sometimes I worry with young Christians in particular, they'll come to the Bible and they'll expect to pray for five minutes and come to the Bible and all the big decisions of their life will be set before them there. It doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. We know that. We know that. We mature as Christians knowing that we must use our own discernment and as we grow in wisdom, and that is what the Lord does to you and I, we grow in wisdom. Where we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm not sure about this decision I'm about to make, whether I'm to go here or there. I'm not quite sure, Lord, but you know, your Bible is not being specific on this, but I know, and I, and, and I trust you, Lord, and I have to make a decision, so I'm going to go this. It's wisdom. 
It's wisdom. And you weigh these things up. You weigh all these things up. And you, you weigh it up and you think, Lord, I think this is the right way out to go. But the Bible teaches us that when we are in that place of indecision, that we're still to love the Lord our God more and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It teaches us that. It teaches us that. The pathway. The pathway sometimes is so difficult for the Christian. It's difficult at times being a Christian. It is. It is so difficult. We make wrong decisions. We do. We do it every day. Whether it's small decisions or big decisions, we do. We err. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And He won't leave us. Even if we make our own decision, He won't leave us. He's promised not to leave us. That pathway sometimes is difficult. But there are times in life when we just must make that decision. Big decisions, big decisions. The Lord is really interested in the minute details of your life and my life. But he's teaching us all through these experiences of, I don't know which way to go. He's teaching us and he's molding us and he's recreating us. That's why young Christians must listen to older Christians. I remember when I was first converted, I, I was full of questions for the older, older Christians because they had been there. You know, they, had, they, they, they were telling me about their own decisions they made and things they did wrong and, and, and how the Lord taught them through taking wrong paths. And I would learn from them. And that's what young Christians ought to do, learn from the older generation the wisdom that they have. And that's, and that's, that's the Christian life. But we need the Word of God to direct our paths every day. Whether we're in a land of indecision, we know that as Christians we must, we, we must live as Christians. We must show the world that even when we're in a stupor and we don't know which way to go, we still love the Lord, we still love our neighbor, we still love each other. That's the pathway. The promise, the psalmist has made a promise. Look at Hebrews 6. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous will. He is saying here, I sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules, or as the living Bible puts it, I like this as well, I've said it once, Lord, and I'll say it again. I will obey these wonderful laws of yours, or I will try to live and to obey these wonderful laws of yours. The psalmist is taking these righteous rules. He has in mind the whole of what the Bible says, not just the Ten Commandments, and, and he is saying, Lord, I want to live by what you say in here. I want to live the life that you have called me to. I want to live a holy life, Lord. But Lord, I'm a sinner. Sin has such a powerful effect in my heart. But, but I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit to doing this knowing that I will sometimes make mistakes and I, and I will sin. But Lord, I will. You have promised me you have promised me that you will never leave me nor forsake me. So, Lord, I promise, I commit to you. That's what we do when we're baptized. When we get baptized as an adult, I was. Or we, we, our children are baptized, we promise to bring them up under the word of God. We promise to do that. And as Christians, we've made an oath to God. 
Lord, we have promised that we are going to live as best we can in this life, knowing that we're not going to be perfect. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's made a covenant. He's made a covenant with God, and more so at a later, later date, he has confirmed it. And in this covenant, he is showing that he is taking his faith very seriously. He did not say, I will select some of what God says in his word and pick and choose according to how I feel. No, that's not what he's saying. No. You know, he knew God was open to his leading and direction in his life. The psalmist obeyed God's laws. Was the psalmist a perfect man? Absolutely not. There's only one man who read this psalm who was perfect in the synagogue, and that was the Lord Jesus. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. He says, in Psalm 119, verse 101, he says, I will hold back my feet from every evil way, but you have to help me. You have to show me what's evil and what is good, and that's what he does in the word of God. He shows us. He's saying to the Lord, Lord, show me the potential pitfalls that will be before me every day. Show me these pitfalls. Show me these pitfalls I am not to go down. Lord, lead me not into temptation. In the Lord's Prayer, it is there for a reason. Lord, lead me not into temptation, because I'm a sinner, and I'm prone to sinning. And Lord, I need you. I need you. I am a weak, and I am a fragile sinner. You see, the law of God, the Bible, it's like an x-ray. It will reveal the problem, but it cannot fix it. We must let this x-ray do its work in our lives. How often we come to read the Word of God, and we come away from reading the Bible, realizing that it's actually leading us. Have you ever sat in a sermon? Have you ever sat in a sermon? And you hear people when they're converted, before, just before they're converted, how did the minister know all these things about me? It's not the minister who knew all these things about you. It's God who knows all these things about you. And he's disclosing it to you through the Bible. That's what's going on there. We hear it time and time and time again. I am a weak and fragile sinner. Lead me not into temptation. You know, the psalmist here is showing traits of possessing a teachable spirit. He's got a teachable spirit. Any teachers? Any teachers? Is there anything more endearing and lovely than a child who has a teachable spirit? Sunday school teachers will know that. A child who has a teachable spirit is a wonderful thing. And as Christians, we are to have humble, teachable spirits. It doesn't matter if we're ministers or elders, even more so for them than for us. But we're all to have teachable spirits, and that's what the psalmist here has. He was open to being corrected. Anyone here open to being corrected? Uh, I dig my heels in when I get around. I don't know about you guys. I do dig the heels in. The Lord is saying you need a teachable spirit. And I will show you how to have a teachable spirit. The psalmist here has a teachable spirit. I love the story about Abraham Lincoln. I'm running out of time. Thanks for the clock. I'm still here to well. Abraham Lincoln, he got caught up in a situation. He was the president of the United States during the Civil War. And he got caught up in a situation where he wanted to please a certain politician. He was sucking up to a certain politician. Sinful. Shouldn't have been doing it. Okay, so he issued a command to, to transfer certain regiments of soldiers from one end of the country to the other. And when this, this Secretary of War, does anyone know who Lincoln's Secretary of War was? A man called Edwin Stanton. And when Stanton received the order, he actually refused to carry it out. 
And he said that the president was a fool. Lincoln was told what Stanton had said. And Lincoln's response was, well, if Stanton says I'm a fool, then I am a fool, because he's always right. And Lincoln realized he was wrong. He would have lost the war if he had continued to carry out that order. Even although he was the president of the United States, he had made a covenant with the people of America, but he wasn't big on himself. He had a teachable spirit, and he was able to be corrected, even as the president. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And as Christians, we too are to have a teachable spirit. And sometimes, and sometimes we have conflict in the Christian life as well. And sometimes what we believe, we will come into contact with other people who believe completely opposite things. You know, sometimes we will come into conflict with other people, whether in the office or in the jobs or whatever it is, whether it be transgender, whether it be abortion, all these big subjects, you know, we can come into conflict. And, and, and the psalmist here, he's coming into conflict with those around him as well. But he will uphold God's law to the best of his ability as he can, knowing that he will fail, but also knowing that he has a saviour who will do it perfectly for him. Perfectly for them. Verse 107, and we're not going to read it at all. Severely afflicted, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. For the psalmist living the Christian life was hard. He was persecuted. He was put down. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. But he knew one would come who would also be mocked and ridiculed. The Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus would do it for him. story is told of the little girl. And I've told you the story before, but I'll probably tell you again. The little girl who lived next door to the graveyard. And in order to get to the shops, the little girl had to walk through the graveyard and back to her home to get her sweeties. And she would often go through at night, through the graveyard, on her own at night. Anyone up for that? No? And she would, she would go through it. And somebody asked her one day, little girl, don't you, don't, don't you ever get afraid walking through the graveyard at night? And the little girl said, oh no, I don't get afraid. She said, my house is over there. And I know the path. The path is there. My house is only over there. It's the same for us. See that curtain that goes into, eter into eternity. That's our home. That's your home. That's my home. That's where we belong. See that path that's leading there? God has shown you that path. He's shown me that path. And that is the path we are to take. But in order to get there, we need the Bible. We need the Bible. And while we live in this world, we must live in accordance with this word. We're not perfect. But we'll reach home will be perfect. But people are looking at you and me, people who are non-Christians. And some of them are saying, there's something different about them. I want what they have. So we are to be light. 
you to be light, and we'll descend. See this path I'm on? There's plenty room on this path for you too. Plenty room on this path. We're going through a graveyard, yes, but come and join me on this path. Because somebody has gone before us on this path, and his name is Jesus. We must follow him.